Welcome to Sebastopol City Limits. I'm Dale Doherty. From 1989 until 2010, Steve Fowler was the curator at the Luther Burbank Experiment Farm in Sebastopol. We met this week at the cottage on the farm and sat around a large table surrounded by all kinds of Burbank memorabilia. I pressed record and and really just listened to Steve talk about Luther Burbank, the experiment farm, and the efforts to save the farm and continue its work in the present. I'm Steve Fowler. I'm a landscape gardener by trade. I retired since 2010. And when I retired, I gave up the job of curator of the Burbank farm, a position I'd had since 1989. I had an intimate knowledge of just about every square foot of the Burbank experiment farm in Sebastopol. How big is the farm today? I'm going to say two and a half acres. It expanded and contracted depending on negotiations with the city, and also with the Burbank Heights Corporation that did senior housing next door. And at first was very resentful of the farm. Don Dowd and I didn't see eye to eye in those days because I was the representative of the farm and the only person who was ever over here at first. I've seen a lot of water go into the bridge, so to speak. What was the size of the experiment farm in Luther Burbank's day? It was 15 acres. We all say 15 acres. And if you look behind you, you'll see a map that represents those 15 acres. There was a time when he owned part of what is now the cemetery. And the story is that he gave it up because there were too many gophers. He was trying to go gladiolus up there and they were just killing it. That's an original map. It shows the literally tens of thousands of plants that were here at that time. It was completely fenced because Burbank did not want anybody messing around over here. There was no plant patent law, and his experiments could be easily stolen, particularly when they got to the point where they were about ready to be introduced. It's also said that he searched the pockets of his employees uh, to make sure they weren't carrying any seeds or twigs. Horticulture is so portable because of the fact that you can make cuttings for just about anything. Of course, seeds are almost invisible. He charged, and we have right here a ticket, $10 for a, fifth, for, for a quarter of an hour if you wanted to come visit and hear it before. And in those days, I think that ticket is, is dated uh, 1916. That's funny to say that. It's just such a bygone se- century. But in 1916, 10 bucks would pop buy you a suit of clothes, I'm sure. Or maybe pay the rent on an apartment for a month or something like that. It was a lot. It was prohibitive, and that was the idea. Uh, because he really wanted to be left alone over here. If he wanted to show off, he would do it over at Santa Rosa at his house. He had a nice house. He had a glass greenhouse. A wife? Two wives, actually. One was a big mistake. She hated town. She thought he was an important person, and they would ride around town in a gilded chariot or something. He was just gone all the time. He was working 14 hours a day and just cared about his plans. So that didn't last. But he did marry his assistant, Elizabeth, toward the end of his life, and that was apparently a love match, a very deep love match. When did Burbank stop coming to the farm? He stopped coming here, I think, in about 1924, 25. He died in 26, but he had stopped working at the farm for a couple of years. I think he was even trying to sell the place. I don't think he did because his wife, Elizabeth, installed an apple orchard after he died. So large parts of what he had done was, was destroyed. 
but there was this one little section where the cottage we were sitting in was, and there was a barn, and there was a sort of, it wasn't suitable, maybe suitable for apartments, and there were lots of gnarly old trees. Some local historians, activists, and Mel Davis, who was then the city manager, contrived to, to create a condition in the use permit that this is, he set aside. That was the late, the late 70s. Uh, I'm not sure of the exact times of all those maneuverings. After he died, there was still tremendous interest in the farm. The Kyle family moved into this house and actually remodeled it so that they could raise their girls here. I think there were a couple of Kyle daughters, at least one son. They all lived here, but the, the well had gone dry in 1906 when the earthquake struck. And the house was knocked off its foundations and had to be rebuilt. So this is the second version of this cottage. And it dates to the 1908, something like that. Also, Stanford University was interested. And then there was a nursery in Missouri, Stark's Nursery, that bought all of the rights to all of his plants. They had someone living here who was working here, whose job was to find experiments that still had some promise. And then remove them to their nursery in Missouri, where they would rename them or name them and then sell them to the public. Unfortunately, the microclimates in Missouri were so different. Most of it didn't make the cut. Luther never had much of a, a, a relationship with the scientific community because he didn't work with the same principles that, for instance, Mendel or a geneticist at the time. He, he worked from instinct. I think he had parapsychological abilities. I'm sure he did, as a matter of fact, but I can't prove it. It's the sort of thing. How could he go down a line of plants, kick over every one except the one that he thought had promise? And this would be years before that plant turned into the Shasta Daisy or the Santa Rosa Plum or whatever. The plants talked to him or he talked to them. He understood and he had an extraordinary ability. And he never drank or smoked, so his senses were sharp. I wish I had his senses, because the, I, the sense of smell is completely gone from my body, so years of cigarette smoking took care of that. And my eyes are gone. My ears are still okay, but plants don't actually make much noise. But, but he, had to, he was very sensitive to them. You know, so he could bypass all the stages that scientists have to go through in order to establish Mendel. And he didn't even know about Mendel, actually. Mendel had, had done his work, but... He believed in the idea of inherited characteristics. So he believed that a plant could acquire characteristics during its lifetime that could be handed on to the offspring independently of the sexual reproduction. Now, of course, that isn't true, but what we know now is that he was able to activate genes in the plant pool that otherwise would never be expressed by the exquisite care that he gave the plants. When a plant was given that kind of care, just like a, a person, they began to express things in their flowers and their growth that otherwise would never appear. That was the acquired characteristic that seemed like a genetic impossibility. But it was really a matter of just treatment, how the plant was treated. Lamarck. It was called the Lamarckian phallus. And uh, so there's a lot more truth to it, we know now, than and was given credit for at the time. The Historical Society was incorporated as a nonprofit, specifically to take on the farm project. Rene Felciano, 
By the time that I got on board in 78, I think it was already, a, the farm was certainly preserved. And some work had been done. A landscape plan had been prepared by EcoView, an outfit out of Napa. But the fact of the matter was that there was no money to install, do anything. The city didn't want to spend any money. And the Burbank Heights people disliked the idea because they still owned the property and they were liable for anything that happened over here in the way of an accident. They could see suits coming at them from right and left. So that's why they opposed the whole development of the forum at that time. There was an architect, oh, John Banks. I have an old brain. It takes a while to churn up names. Yeah. But he and Rene were a team. They started a program that gave awards and did surveys of historic buildings that were being either properly maintained or remodeled in the appropriate fashion, in keeping with the original style, which is this cottage, the, the wallpaper, the, the doors, the, all the brass handles, everything is historically accurate. John Hughes, I knew that name would come to me. So many of these people are not with us anymore. John Hughes is not. Rene Felciano just died a couple of years ago. It became important in order to preserve the farm from future development that it be recognized by Historic American Building Survey. And that's on the wall over there in brass. This is officially recognized as historical, meaning that it cannot be sold. Talk about some of the things that are happening on the farm now. You have a new fenced-in area. That has everything to do with our new curator. We call him a curator. And that's a holdover from the idea that this place is a museum. A curator is someone who cares for historical or for museum artifacts. In my day, that's all I did. There were some trees here that were historically interesting, and so the, the idea was to keep them alive. And that meant cutting down oak trees, for instance, and it meant removing vast quantities of broom and poison oak and blackberries. I didn't do most of that work. Circuit Riders was engaged to do it. It was a war on poverty idea, LBJ. They had a headquarters up in Windsor, and they brought a crew down here, and they must have worked for weeks, and they took almost all of the, maybe some valuable players, you know, who knows. Elisa Bush was running it, and she was very well educated. Everybody was wondering, what's left? And a guy named Bob Hornback was uh, rummaging around here, and he was a botanist, and he has become a historical botanist. Very important character. But that's to explain the word curator. Jamie Self, who was the current curator, it has been for, what, three years now? Brought in a whole lot of new energy and new ideas. And he took it to the next level, which was to actually start propagating, maybe eventually even hybridizing. That meant you had to control the deer population. That meant fencing off a good section of the farm for that purpose. And that was a controversial thing. I think we all agree it was a good idea. So Jamie, who had experience already with managing volunteers from Esalen Institute, and who was a landscape contractor with all the tools and expertise that come with that. I was a landscape contractor too, but I, I'm from the dark ages. I did plans with a pen and a pencil. I did all my billing myself with checks and invoices. Nowadays, that's all happening online. Jamie has got that under control, but... He's really brought a lot. Alex McLean was here for 10 years, and he did a lot. He was a building contractor. So he did a lot of repairs on this building, the cottage. He completely remodeled the university and turned it into a modern 
productive facility. Aaron Sheffield turned out to have a talent for getting grants. If you had willing people and you have someone who can write grants and you put them together, stuff happens. That also was not true most of my career here. Of course, I started from zero. There were no paths. There was no electricity. There, there was no sprinkler system. And there was, was nothing. We took it to the point where there was, there was a new barn. That was built in 97 with help from the Pulling family. And they helped us get a tractor. And that way we could put in better paths. And it went on from there. I would say that the farm is no longer where it was thought to be, which was a museum. It's now become a working facility that produces lots and lots of, of nursery plants. It's growing crops like potatoes and tomatoes and flowering plants. It has a tree nursery where, where lots of trees are being grown. These are all on display this coming weekend on Saturday, the 16th, from 10 o'clock on, 10 to 2. So we're showing off this weekend. That's yeah, called the Press Fest. And we're going to be displaying our antique Apple Press, beautifully redone. It's a hand cranker. Oh, kids love that. You get that flywheel going. It just practically drags you around in a circle. But there's an electric one, too, and the slow food people operate that on weekends and produce a lot of juice. It's a great public service. And it's another sideline for the farm. 